0: Good morning, Uh, very exciting Sunday because we're going to start talking about money. As a joke. A couple of things I need to say up front as we begin this sermon series. Um, I am like you, it's uncomfortable when somebody else talks to me uh, about what I do with my money. And it's one of those things, one of a few things in life it seems like, where... More than anything else, we just want to be like, "Mind your own business, and I'm with you in that regard and it seems like to me that uh money is something that people always want more of. I think we can agree on that and uh it seems like people are driven in their lives by having stuff and one of the kind of driving forces of this series is that it doesn't matter whether somebody is rich or poor. They don't seem, most people in our society don't seem to be satisfied with the amount of money, the amount of stuff that they have, and it's easy to point a finger at rich people and say, you're greedy, you're greedy, you have so much, but, but as we'll see in this sermon series, I, I think we're going we're gonna to kind of find that... A lot of us, even those of us who aren't wealthy, uh, struggle with this thing that the Bible refers to as greed and that we'll talk about over the course of the next several weeks. First Timothy tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain, and it seems like a forgotten verse in the Bible because even as Christian people, even as church people, we're like yeah, I want godliness, but I also want more and more and more stuff. And if I got more stuff, then I could be content. And so money is like this this topic that is highly uncomfortable, but I think, as we'll see, is very important for everybody to think about and to talk about uh, and here's uh, just a couple of things that are super important, because as soon as the topic of money comes up, uh, I assume that, as soon as you saw the, the bills that are below me right now, even, that, that, you know, especially if you're like a visitor, if you haven't looked at our finances, then, then you go, oh, the church is having a financial difficulty, I mean that's kind of it seems like a lot of times pastors react to financial difficulties and then they give talks about money which can be good I'm not discrediting that but I do want to make clear upfront in this sermon series that we are not having some type of financial crisis. Our church uh, is very efficient. We are uh, frugal. I think we are wise with our money because of people wiser than me. Uh, We could use more money, obviously, but we do better than a lot of churches. Doesn't mean we get more money in than a lot of churches, but I have the opportunity every now and then to see uh, some churches put their their financial numbers in bulletins. And, and I saw one church not that long ago, and uh, it was like three weeks into the month, and they were below what they needed to meet their budget by $43,000 in that month. Uh, And we are in no way, that would be like our whole budget here at Creekside Bible Church, but we are uh, in no way in that type of situation. Uh, The numbers are pretty even. We haven't taken a huge dip. We have a goal of $100,000 this year for our budget, if you're not aware of that. And we're currently on pace, even though we've fallen off in like the, the last month or so, but we're on pace to reach that goal. And so there is... No financial crisis at Creekside Bible Church that is behind this sermon series. Uh, also, let me make clear that if more money comes to our church because of this sermon series, I will not get a raise. Um, and I, I just know because, you know, I've, I don't know, it just because I'm aware of how, what people think of pastors. And there's this common thinking that pastors are just greedy, money-hungry, people, and that whenever they give a sermon about money, it's because they want more money, and a couple of things I'd like to point out. First of all, the majority of pastors that aren't on your television set are, are underpaid and underappreciated and not making very much money. And I would go out and say, I'm going to this is a made up statistic, but 99% of pastors that are not on TV are, are not in it for the money. And if they are, they're stupid because they have the responsibilities of managers that would be paid much more if they were managing somewhere else. And they got to deal with volunteers instead of paid employees that they can just tell what to do and say, I'll fire you. I can never say, I'll fire to anybody, even though sometimes I'd like to be able to say that to some people. Hey, you're fired. But it's it's not a job that people go into for the money. I mean, if you look at the return on the education that it takes to be a pastor, it's very terrible. Uh, Here's the other thing that's that's important. I I don't get a raise. There's no raise. I do fine, and this is the other part that kind of segues. I am very thankful for how this church has invested in me in so many ways, Uh, but including financially. I think I am fairly compensated for the size of church that we have. I think I am more than fairly compensated for the work that I do at this church. Um, Our church made a decision when they hired me a few years ago uh, to make sure that I didn't need to be bivocational and that uh, I would have enough money to be able to stick around for a long time and not uh, feel a need always to find a higher paying job. And I appreciate that. And so this is this is definitely not a sermon series. This like you know I'm not getting paid enough. We need to do better so that I can make more money. I, I feel comfortable with what I am paid here. In fact, uh, and I, I this is a funny thing to say because it can sound like bragging, but it, it just it needs to kind of set up the series. You need to know it's not coming from a a place of wanting more money or financial you know, problems or anything like that. Uh, I've turned down more raises, I think, or at least equal to at this church than I have accepted them. There are other jobs out there. I saw one recently that would pay me double uh, with with less maybe responsibility than I have at this church. And I looked at it and said, that's tempting, and then thought, no way, I like my church. And so I don't feel some need to get more Money. One time, uh, my director of my campus for seminary said, Pastors always leave for another church. And it's funny because when you look at what they get paid at the new church, it's always more. And they'll say, Well, God just led me to this new church. And, and I have made a commitment in my head, uh, partly through the, the accountability of, of um, somebody in this church, to never be a person that will leave a church. For more money, if I ever leave this church, it will be because God wants me to leave this church, not because the paycheck is bigger. It's actually my dream to take a less paying job as a pastor. It's a weird dream, I know, but to leave, I don't want to leave this church, but to leave one church and take another job so that I can look at people and go, you know what? I'm doing this because God wants me to do this, not because the paycheck is bigger. And so I know the excuse, like, and even maybe for some people who are a part of our church, I think it'd be less, but like for visitors, for people coming in, they're just going to go like, okay, the church has a financial problem, not a church I want to be a part of, or this guy just wants to get paid more. And and it really, for the things that we say in this series, will be a, a false excuse. It will be a reason for people... That listen to this series to say, Well, I don't really need to apply it because that guy just wants more money. And it is flat out 100%. And I could say this with the utmost honest, honesty and sincerity I, I'm not driven by money. And this sermon series is not driven by our church needing more of it or me needing more of it. Now, this is the other thing that's really important as we kind of dive in this. Very uncomfortable topic, yes. And also a topic that if you've been around church, if you've turned on the TV, if you've listened to Christian culture, then you already assume, kind of coming into this series, that it will go one of two ways. Option one, you have a responsibility to give this church more money, and if you don't, you need to feel horribly guilty, so give us more money kind of, those are sermons that are sometimes preached, right? I mean, you know that, like you kind of maybe expect that in our church. Uh, Like this, it's just here, you have this financial obligation. If you're not meeting this financial obligation, then you ought to feel guilty. And that has its merits. There's moments where that can be a good thing, where people are not stepping up and fulfilling their responsibilities, but this sermon series is not that sermon series. And here's the other one. If you give us enough money, then you are going to have lots more money and everything will be better for you. I would love to give that sermon series. If I could at all find that in the Bible, it would be great because, you know, we could be to the rich church and you could be poor and everybody would have to give money or feel like giving money. I would love to be able to like get some kind of prayer shawl up here and be like, hey, if you just give $100 more this week than normal, I will give you this and then you can rub it and then all your prayers will be answered and you'll just have financial success and everything will be better and you can live your best life now. I mean, that is what would be fun. That's a fun sermon and it seems like that makes really... Nicely dressed pastors in the world, like when I see them, but I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, This sermon series could make you poor. Let me say that. This sermon series could cause you to have less money in your bank account, and and it may never come back to you a hundredfold or anything like that. And so, this is not what they call the prosperity gospel over the next four weeks. This is not going to be a sermon series. Where I say to you, if you will just give more, then you will get more. And so, it will not be a guilt trip. It will also not be a let's get rich. It's going to be something totally different, maybe somewhere in between. Uh, But it's going to be a sermon series that I think we take a real look at what the Bible says about our finances And we figure out what God has to say. Now, one more thing. There's one more really important thing. Um, This is the third in an annual kind of series that, that I do on the seven deadly sins. And there is no... There is no seven deadly sins in the Bible Is something that was created by the church throughout history. But a few years back, I thought it would be interesting to take a look at the seven deadly sins and start to take one of them a year and really just kind of examine what the Bible actually says about these things. And two years ago, we did, or three years ago, no, two years ago, we did gluttony. And last year, we did laziness uh, and I'm just going to, this is totally honest. For me and my study in those and my preaching of those series, they have been in the last 10 to 15 years of my relationship with Jesus and my Christianity, the most important studies that I've done for my spiritual life. They have been the two most important series for me as far as moving me forward as a Christian, helping me grow in my relationship with God and my understanding of God and my love for God and, and really in my work and my efforts for God. A couple years ago when we studied gluttony, I said, Conquer gluttony and you can conquer life. And what I meant by that is that gluttony is this sin, according to the Bible, that oftentimes when we don't think about food the way that God wants us to, it leads us to other areas of life uh, not being very self-disciplined. And so if we cannot eat like God wants us to eat, then then other areas that seem bigger to us are also hard for us to have self-control in. Last year I I said when we were talking about laziness that the opposite of laziness is to do the right thing at the right time in the right way and and it is More than any other sermon series I've ever done, it it has become part of the culture of this church. I have heard that statement referenced. It's something that I think drives our ministry advisory team when we're trying to make decisions. It's not like, you know, what's the magical thing to do? What is going to work in 50 years? It's like, what, what do we need to be doing right now, and how do we need to be doing it for God? And this sermon series is a continuation of those, and what's really cool is, is I've been looking at it, I think that if you'll allow this sermon series to be one where you're actually paying attention, and you're not just thinking like, you know, that guy wants more money, or our church needs more money, or don't talk to me about my money, or anything like that, then, what, then really, I think that it is going to be a life-changing sermon series for you, because I think that when we start to obey God financially, we'll see this in scripture, that it leads to us being a person that follows God in other areas of our life. We're going to see in this sermon series, this will come up, that Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. And as I look around, even in the American church, I see a lot of people who are trying to serve both God and and money and it doesn't matter how rich a person is it doesn't matter how much they have i see that people are trying to serve both god and money and jesus has told us that it is absolutely impossible i want to say this and and we need to kind of have our minds here the question needs to be what is greed Now, this is not like the perfect biblical definition that I'm going to give you. I tried with my definition to get to really the heart of what greed is, but we need a working definition for the word greed so that when I say greed, you'll know exactly what I mean and there's no barrier as far as language goes. Um, Let me just read you a couple of quotes, first of all, that I think kind of help us begin to see what greed is, but they don't do uh, as good a job as I'm going to do in a second. But how about this? It signifies an excessive longing for food and drink or avidity in the consumption of them. Such desire, whether for wealth or for food and drink, goes beyond reason and is an evidence of a crass sort of selfishness. Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible describes it as eager, unrestrained, longing especially for wealth or gain, Benjamin Franklin said that happiness and greed never saw each other. How then should they become acquainted? I really like that. Happiness and greed never saw each other. Andy Stanley, who usually I think is just the absolute best, said greed is the assumption that all is for my consumption. He likes rhymes too. And then Seneca, famous teacher in Rome, said to greed, all nature is insufficient. Greed can never satisfy. So I tried, as I put this all together, to really, like, sum it down into one statement that that could be remembered and thought about. And I tried a bunch of different rhymes, like, I'll just give you some of them that came into my head. A desire for money that ain't even funny. A desire for cash that will make you bash a window to grab someone else's stash a desire for Benjamins that will turn you into sinning men, a desire for stuff that never has enough. Um, and then I noticed as I went through all of these that none of them were that good, but there's one key statement, one word in each of these that is the driving, I think, kind of thing that is behind what greed is, and it's desire. And I think at the very core of desire is a, a, a at the very core of greed is a desire for material things, money, wealth, stuff, prosperity, that God has not given us. I think in a couple of weeks, you're gonna see a verse that uh, you just never knew existed, and it's gonna really strengthen this out of 1 Timothy 6, and it's not that uh, money is the root of all kinds of evil, it's right after that, it's the part that nobody pays attention to, and it's, and it's gonna really help us see that at the heart of greed is a desire for stuff that God has not given us. Even if it's not excessive, even if it's not something that's abnormal or something that, that is never even satisfied, that is insatiable, it's just a desire for something that God has not given us. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. And here's what it is, Here's if you could just put this down, you can draw it, it's, it's, you put money, possessions, whatever, and then you draw a line underneath it, and God underneath. And here's what I think greed is. It's placing stuff, things, money, finances, above your relationship with God. And another verse that we'll look at, it says that greed is idolatry. And really what I think greed is is saying, I care more about money, about having things, than I do about pleasing God. You can pretty clearly see it in the most drastic forms uh, of the bi- in the Old Testament because you see that it leads to like oppression of the poor, harmful lust, poverty, injustice, misery, domestic affliction, violence, lying, murder, turning from Jesus in the New Testament and not coming to Jesus in the New Testament. These are pretty big deals and they all kind of stem from somebody or someone or people saying, look, I just desire stuff even a little bit. More than I desire to please God. You can see it in Joshua 7, where a man named Achan hides. Uh, the treasure that they had, had received in a battle and he hides the devoted things that were supposed to be given to God and eventually is killed. You can see in the Jews charging interest to their fellow Jewish people even though God has made clear in the Old Testament that they were not supposed to charge interest on loans and the Jews did it anyway and it becomes really a part of their culture that turns them away ...from God because they didn't care what God said about their finances... You can see it in Samuel's sons in 1 Samuel 8, taking bribes as the priests of Israel. They said, this is not about what God wants. It's about me having more stuff. You can see it in the Israelites keeping back a portion from the Levites who were temple servants in Joshua 18. They said, look, I know, God, what you said. I'm supposed to give a part of this, but God, I want this stuff more than I want to please you. Greed is simply placing your money above your relationship with God. And here's the sad reality. For a non-God-fearing person, a person that's not a Christian, that doesn't love Jesus, this makes total sense. I mean, my recommendation to non-Christians is to get absolutely as much stuff as you possibly can And enjoy this life as much as possible because hell is really going to suck. I mean, so you might as well just live it up as best as you possibly can now because someday it's going to end. I also recommend that they become Christians so that they can go to heaven someday. But uh, if they're not going to do that, then why not just ignore all of this kind of godly attitude about money and just spend it and have fun? Because there's nothing to look forward to. But with Christians, we believe in this thing called eternity. We believe that we give our lives to Jesus. We give our lives to Jesus, and in return for that, we get a life after this death that is perfect, where we will live in eternity for God. And so it makes no sense, zero sense, for us to put money, things, stuff over obedience in our relationship to God. But I think the sad reality is that this is how most Christians are today. Most Christians are driven by money. And this is this is how I kind of know that. It's very simple. It's a very easy way to I think see it and it's just in this. It's when I talk to Christians When I examine Christians' lives, when I interact with Christians about kind of how they make decisions in life, almost all of their decisions are based on having enough money to be comfortable. We let dollars and cents kind of direct our lives rather than seeking to obtain the will of God. I just said it, about pastors. Most pastors who leave a church will go to a church where they make more money. And then they'll clothe that and, yeah, well, I'm just doing God's will. I prayed about it. And it's really what I think. But how come you don't see pastors who are taking pay cuts to go where God wants them? It's because greed has so consumed The American church, that even those who lead the American church are driven by money over and above, being driven by following the will and the ways of God. The American Christian, not just the American person, but the American Christian often has to go, well, I think God wants me to do that, but it's going to cost me some money so I'm not really sure I want to do it. The sad, sad reality that I think is just, makes this sermon series important is that while greed should be the characteristic of those who don't follow our Savior Jesus, it has become a common characteristic of those of us who do. And the Bible tells us that greed originates in a sinful heart, that it engrosses our hearts, and that it's never satisfied. And yet, it's never really talked about unless the church wants to guilt you into giving more money or to falsely promise you into giving more money by saying that riches will come back to you. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to really look at what God says about money, and there's, I'm telling you, I, Brandon can attest to this, As we were picking songs for this sermon series, and I was rereading over the passages that I already sent out, I was like getting excited, because I, I've read the Bible quite a bit, and I've studied the Bible kind of bit, and, and so it's, it's an interesting moment when I'm like, man, that's in the Bible, and nobody ever told me, I never paid attention to it, and, and like, that's, that's like all the passages of scripture here. This is not going to be like a cliche deal. This is not going to be something that's like, yeah, I've heard that before. Oh, yeah. It's like things that nobody, probably somebody, that most people are not paying attention to. And I think that they can radically improve your relationship to God. And that's a big deal. When I start these sermon series on the seven deadly sins, I like to begin in the Old Testament. And uh, the truth is that greed is is not spoken of nearly uh, as much in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. And uh, much of what I just defined about greed is kind of taken from what I see, the New Testament, and what it says about God. But there is one passage of Scripture that while it doesn't say the word greed in the Old Testament, I, I think it gets to the very heart of what greed is. And I think how we can begin to remove it from our lives. And it's in Proverbs 8. And in Proverbs 8, to catch you up to speed, you can open it up there. We'll look at verses 8 through 20. But in the first seven verses, we see wisdom, which is kind of the main theme of Proverbs. We see it being personified as a woman. And so this passage is about woman wisdom, which is super hard to say. And I don't know why commentary people don't say lady wisdom because that'd be way easier. But woman wisdom. One guy said that Proverbs 8 is the most difficult and profound chapter in the book of Proverbs. And if you've never read Proverbs, I would just go home and read Proverbs. It's tons of good advice, and the whole thing is pretty profound, where you're like, wow, that's, a, that's deep, man. But, but some people think that Proverbs 8 is the most profound in the whole book. And then this is the other part. Uh, the audience of the book of Proverbs may be primarily young men, who are beginning to form habits for their family life and for their financial life. And I say that, you go, well, then am I excluded? Is this not important for me? I say that because when you think of young men, oftentimes they are the ones who are making a decision, is my life going to be driven by greed or by something else? Is my life going to be driven by money, having more of it, moving up the corporate ladder, uh, being successful, or is it going to be driven Buy something else for Christians, my relationship with God. And so I think as we read this, to have that in mind, that this passage of Scripture, probably primarily, first and foremost, was written to young men who are at that kind of fork in the road. I mean, when you're a young 20-something, for these people would have been younger than that, young men, but for us, young 20-something, you are kind of making a decision, Not a decision that's irreversible, not a decision that you can never fix later, but a decision, what is my life going to be driven by? There's a couple other things about this. In Proverbs 2, we see that one's finding of wisdom is a gift of God. In uh, Proverbs 8, 7, and 8, we see that uh, the words of wisdom reflect words about God in Deuteronomy 32, four, and five. And so we see that wisdom is really closely connected to God and the character of God. In Proverbs 8, 14, uh, the words there are, are the same almost as the attributes of God in Job 12, 13, and Isaiah 11, two, um, where those attributes are actually spoken as a prophecy about Jesus. And then when you look in the New Testament, You see that Jesus begins to be spoken of in terms that are very similar to this woman wisdom. I did not call Jesus a woman, so don't make that your excuse either. But he's spoken of in terms that are very similar to what we see in Proverbs 8. Jesus declares himself greater than Solomon, who was the wisest man ever to live. We see that even when Jesus was young, it tells us that he was wise. It tells us that he was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And if you look at Jewish literature, they see Proverbs 8 and the woman wisdom there as a, as a um, reference to the Old Testament law. We see that Jesus was the very incarnation of wisdom in the New Testament. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of him that you were in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Jesus himself re- correlates himself with woman wisdom, Matthew eleven eighteen 18, and 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then notice this. He's talking about proving himself right. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. He connects himself. He calls himself wisdom Colossians 1:15 through 17 speaking about Jesus and it's almost a quote from Proverbs 8 and then John 1 10 3 14 are almost they're connected to Proverbs 8 and then the book of Revelation you see again that Jesus is this representation of wisdom and you say why did you tell me all that I don't care that's only interesting to people like you or pastors and you study the Bible all the time and this is why because when we look at Proverbs 8 We cannot say, well, this is Jesus and apply everything to him because then it says that Jesus was born and you run into all kinds of problems and one guy was actually labeled a heretic in the early church and he was probably killed, I'm not sure of that, but all because he did what I just described. But what you do need to see and what you do need to do is you need to say, okay, this wisdom thing is so tightly wrapped up in the Old Testament law and it's wrapped up in Jesus. What does that say about wisdom? And what I believe it says is that wisdom is an understanding of the will of God for our lives. You see, the Old Testament law was written so that the Jewish people could know what God wanted them to do. They were a brand new nation. They were a brand new people group. And God said, this is how I want you to conduct yourself. And then Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus is the embodiment of God's will and work for us as Christians. If you want to live a life that that honors and pleases God, then live a life like Jesus because he has shown us exactly what God would have for us as human beings. And so when we look at Proverbs 8, we need to understand that this is tied up to the law and tied up to Jesus because wisdom is an understanding of what God would have for you. Now listen to what it says. It's so good. Proverbs 8, 8, and 9. All the words of my mouth, this is wisdom talking, are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. So we see that wisdom takes on kind of this ethical standard. Wisdom isn't just like an understanding of It isn't just being smart. It isn't the ability to solve riddles. It isn't having a ton of knowledge or being old as we sometimes think of wisdom or being an owl or being a sorcerer in one of the sorcery books. I mean, wisdom is ethical because it helps us live for God. Proverbs 8, 10 and 11. Check this out. This is the key verse. This is, if you pay attention to nothing else, Proverbs 8, 10 and 11. Choose my instruction. Instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more than precious rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, throughout this passage, wisdom is being compared to things, but in verse 10, the language switches. And it's no longer a comparison. It's actually a command. A command that borders uh, on a paradox. As in a situation, person, or thing that combines contradictory features or qualities to quote Google on the definition of paradox. I mean, this is a paradox. What the writer of Proverbs seems to be saying is you need to make a choice. You can choose to follow the will and the way of God or... You can choose to make your life about riches. See, the writer of Proverbs is saying, look, he's saying what Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. He's saying there's there's a decision to be made here. Either you're going to make your life about serving money, or you're going to make your life about following the will of in the way of God following Jesus. This is the question. What are you going to make your life about? And you can answer if you're greedy right now just by saying, hey, what are most of my decisions based on? What do I make most of my decisions based on? Money, stuff, possessions, having more, feeling good about the things I own, looking good because of the things I own, or... God. But then he says this thing that I think is just, I don't think we believe it. And I think this is why, I think this is why there's so much greed in the American church because I don't believe what he, that we believe what he says next. He says, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. The word for more precious is beautiful, good, festive, pleasurable, pleasing, if you looked at the Hebrew language. And and so it's like wisdom is more beautiful. It's more pleasurable. Understanding God's will for your life and, and doing it is better. It's more beautiful. It's more pleasing. It's more pleasurable than the most beautiful things. That you can think of. And then notice that other part. He says that nothing, nothing, nothing that you obtain can satisfy, can compare. Like following the will and the ways of God. That's a, like, this is a big statement. I just need you to understand that this, this changes everything. Because I think what we think is beautiful is like, okay, okay, I can save for the next trip, and Paris is going to be super beautiful. And so when we think about, like, okay, money, I have money. There's only so much of it. Hmm, I can spend it the way God wants me to, and that would be kind of nice. You know, I'll get a quick high out of it. Or I could go to Paris. Paris is probably more beautiful. It's like, uh, you know, I could think about what God wanted me to do with this money, but man, my iPad is super awesome. And so when we make the choice, we choose the most beautiful thing. And I think most of us grow up never thinking like, wait a minute, I could choose something besides stuff? Because we just grow up thinking, I mean, if you're poor, you grow up thinking, I need to really get stuff because I don't I've never had enough and I didn't really work that stuff. And if you're rich, you're like, I gotta maintain this lifestyle. It's really hard to take a step back in lifestyle, and I need to keep moving forward, I need to get more stuff, and I need to build on this I already have. And this is saying, wow. When you compare the two, if you'll really just desire to serve God, it's way better and worth way more, and way more beautiful, way more pleasurable. Now here, this is, I just, I need you to get this. It's really important to ask yourselves, do I care more about stuff, or do I care more about the will of God but here's the thing and I found I've actually found this to be true when I make a decision about my money and I say okay I think I think that I will receive more satisfaction if I do this thing God wants me to do instead of buying this thing that you know seems more beautiful or better or cooler or nicer or will make me look good I found in my own soul that it's right it's more satisfying. It's more satisfying to say, I'm going to spend my money the way that God wants me to spend it. I'm going to care more about what God wants than I'm going to care about riches. Now, here's the trick of it. Here's the, and this is so, this is big. Because if, if you are a person, then you already know this. We never have enough money. And it seems like the amount of money we have is never satisfying to us. Would you agree with that? You don't have to answer out loud. But, but for the most part, we're never satisfied unless we've learned to at some point conquer greed and think about money God's way. But, but we're really not satisfied. And, and here, this is so cool because he is saying here that the more satisfying thing is to do the will of God. And I wonder, I just wonder, if we as people made a decision to spend our money God's way, that maybe we could find the satisfaction we're looking for by trying to obtain more and more stuff. The more and more stuff never satisfies us. We all know that. We've figured that out. I mean, some of the richest people seem never to be satisfied at all. We can all. And we like to point to people that are rich and wealthy, and we're like, how could they be sad? You know, how could they suffer from depression? How could they need more? How could they, you know, keep taking steps? Why do they need another business, you know? I mean, we think like that, but think about you and your situation. You're probably not that satisfied anyway. But what if you just said, I want the more valuable thing? I want the thing that, that is incomparable compared to spending money on myself. I want the will of God, and I'm going to spend my money for him. Maybe then we could find the satisfaction that we long for. I mean, if you, just, if you just look and you say, what do I value more, stuff on one side or doing God's will on the other? And you know it's stuff, then then this series is for you. If if your life has been driven to this point by obtaining, by having more, by even just even if it's not having more, just having stuff and keeping the stuff that you have, then this sermon series is for you. But I think the first step in conquering greed, in fixing the greed problem in our lives and in the church is to say the more valuable thing is doing what God wants. The more satisfying thing is doing what God wants with my money and with my life, having a life that is driven by the will and the ways of God. I don't think you're going to go home this morning. And I'm going to continue because he proves this in just a second. But I don't think you're going to go home today and you're going to radically alter how you change or spend your money or change what your life is driven by. But what I I just want this morning is for you just to begin to say to yourself, to tell yourself, to believe in your heart that the most satisfying thing is not having more stuff. The most satisfying thing is being sold out to doing the will of God. Listen to what he says next. I wisdom dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, I have power. By me kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me princes govern and nobles all who rule. It's really interesting because he gives these descriptions of what following God leads to, like sensible behavior, uh, an ability to use reason in context and to follow the ways of God. He says discretion, which refers to careful behavior that arises from clear thinking. And it's interesting because when you read those descriptions, it's exactly the opposite of what a life driven by money does. A life driven by money causes people to do stupid things things. It causes people to rob banks. It causes people to lie to each other. It causes people to break other laws. It causes people to be mean to each other. It causes people to oppress the poor. It causes people to hurt people physically because they want more stuff. You see, this description of wisdom leads to wise prudence and good behavior and doing the right thing, but a life that puts money above God, it will inevitably end up doing stupid things that even the people of the world who aren't Christians think is wrong and terrible. People like to claim that God has led our world into many wars and the statistics say that that's not just true, that's not true at all. I would say that money and accumulating more is what drives people into war, what drives nations into war. And so he sets it up, he says, hey, it's more valuable, wisdom, following God is more valuable than your stuff, than your money, and here's the proof, think about what money leads to, think about what more stuff and wanting more stuff leads to, and then think about what following God leads to. The latter is much, much, much better. He even says, and this is so, it's almost funny, it's almost laughable, but that that wisdom is what leads people to govern and to rule well. And, and don't we oftentimes think, isn't this just the way that we kind of process, like, you know what makes people rule well is having more money. I mean, if there were more tax dollars, the president could do a good job. Even in our church, which proves what I'm saying about Greed being a problem even in the church. I think, and I, and I don't think I'm guilty of this, and I think others are also guilty of this, is we think if we just had more money, then we could do a better job. But this is saying, like, you'll do a better job and make better decisions, not as more money comes in, but as you grow in your wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 9, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I ask, do we fear not having money or do we fear the Lord? He continues in Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. That is the opposite of money. Just so you know, money has never really treated anybody very well. It always leaves people feeling like they, like they want more. And I'll tell you this, and this goes against the second type of sermon that I mentioned, like give more money, get more money. But the truth is, Money is hard to find it just it doesn 't come that easy there 's not that many wealthy people, and the wealthy people in the world are most often wealthy because they 've worked their butts off to become wealthy it 's not that easy, but wisdom personified. A relationship with God, understanding the will and the ways of Jesus and following him. It says here, if you love him, then he is going to love you back. He's going to treat you well. And if you seek to live that type of life, then you will find. I'm telling you, another reason that money is no comparison to a godly life is because one is obtainable for everybody, the godly life, and the other is not. You can search your whole life. You can try your best to become a millionaire it's probably not going to happen Man, a millionaire might happen or a billionaire and it's probably not going to happen as inflation continues to rise but if you want to follow god and if you make that your aim god's saying i'm here i mean you become a christian you pray you listen to me you read my word and you will find what you were looking for. If you want to spend your whole life not finding what you're looking for, chase money. But if you want to spend your whole life receiving that which you are aiming for, then follow God. Proverbs 8, 18 through 20, with me are riches and honor enduring wealth and prosperity that would be my hook right there if i wanted to tell you give lots of money to the church and you'll get lots of money back that would be the verse right there my fruit is better than fine gold what i yield surpasses choice silver i walk in the way of righteousness along the path of justice a couple of things to point out first of all it does say here that with wisdom comes money and the book of proverbs you need to understand this about the book of proverbs is full of proverbs and these proverbs are not meant to be taken as literal promises uh it doesn't mean that if you do what the book of proverbs says then it will always work uh, the book of proverbs is meant to be taken it's a type of literature that is meant to be taken as really good advice and so if you come here and you saw the dollar bills and your hope was man i'm i'm gonna get Lots of money and I'm looking forward to this sermon series. You'd be the only person looking forward to this sermon series probably. But if that's how you were thinking, then then wisdom, understanding the will and ways of God is one of the ways that you can get there. If you will make a decision to say, I care more about following God than I do about making money and having more money, then it might lead to you having more. I've never found a man who just said, I just want more stuff, and now I'm, I'm just going to get rich because I want more stuff. That doesn't work, just so you know. But we would all be rich, right? I mean, like, I just, I just want more stuff, and, I, and I'm driven by more stuff. Nobody's ever become rich like that. But when people are smart, they work hard, sometimes it leads to money, and here, what the Bible is saying is sometimes, if you have the understanding of God in your life, and you make that your aim then it may lead you to wealth but then again and notice this is so huge this is so huge my fruit is better than fine gold he said it might lead to money but listen to this my fruit is better than the money what i yield surpasses the money that you want it leads to righteousness along the path of justice it leads to a good relationship With God. Isn't that crazy? He said, look, if you will just seek the will and the ways of God, it might lead you to money. But here, good news, it will lead you to something that is better than money. A good relationship with God. And I just this is this is just a this question right here. Let me just ask this. What would excite you more if I said tomorrow you were going to win the lottery? Or I said, tomorrow, your relationship with God is going to become better. Man, I think that 99% of people would choose the lottery. And if that's the case, then we don't believe this proverb and we have a greed problem. We really do. I mean, you can ask yourself the question, I mean, a billion dollars tomorrow or a better relationship with God tomorrow. And if you say the billion dollars then you're greedy first of all. And second of all, the billion dollars would never satisfy you. You would be choosing the lesser thing. The thing that is less pleasurable. The thing that leads to less good in your life. The thing that is less valuable. And if we're going to beat greed I mean if we're going to to really honor God with the way that we spend our money, then it has to come because we say, I want the more valuable thing, God. And I'll tell you, it's a really tough thing to talk somebody into. I mean, I, the Bible says it, sure. But, but until you begin to say, God, what do you want me to do with this money? What do you want me to do in life? It doesn't matter if money is a part of this. God, I'll do it even though it's going to cost me money. Then you'll never be able to prove what this proverb has said to us. Here's another question that I think is really valuable. As we began this series, thirty minutes ago, did you worry that studying the Bible was going to change your financial habits? did you worry did in your heart did you go, "Oh boy, this series might make me buy less stuff. This series might alter the way that I spend my money, and if you did greedy, still like you, I still think you're great, but you have a greed problem. You see, if you're going, man, I don't really like this series because I might learn what God wants with my money, and then I might have to spend it differently, and I wouldn't have this new TV or this new thing. If that's your thinking, then there's a greed problem. (sighs) Here's what this series is going to be about. It's going to be about helping you see Hopefully, that the more valuable thing is your relationship with God. It's going to help you, I hope, desire to follow God, to live for God, more than to have more money and more stuff. This is what I'm asking. This is, this is what I hope. This is your homework for the day. I want you to one time this week... I'm not going to tell you what. I'm not going to say where or when or how to do it. I want you one time this week to make a financial decision based on what God would want you to do with that money. Some people in this room, not the majority, thankfully, that's what keeps this church going, but some people in this room have probably never made a decision with their money based on wanting to have a better relationship with God. Some people in this room have never given them of themselves because they cared more about what God wanted than they did about having more in their life, about what their money could do for them. And so I'm asking that one time this week, you just say, God, I just, I I care about my relationship with you. I want to... Do something with this dollar, with this hundred dollars, with this million dollars. I could tell you where we could spend that. But this million dollars that I want to do something that that you want me to do with it. And so just one time, and, and this is, I think, I think, I believe, because I believe the Bible and I've experienced this. You're going to find it more satisfying than anything else you could have spent that money on. You're going to find somewhere inside of you, deep in your soul, that it is more satisfying, that it was more valuable than anything you could have purchased with that money. Now, this is, the, this is key. If you're not a Christian, it's really tough to apply this because why give something to a God that, that you don't believe in, that you don't follow, that you don't care about? And I think another thing that this series is going to do for us is, is it's going gonna, it's gonna to show us that all the possessions of the world don't matter. But what matters is a relationship with God because he's offered us eternal life. And so if you're not a Christian, I, I hope that you will stick around and you'll, I'm not gonna try to take all your money. I just, I think that you'll see that a godly relationship with God is more valuable than anything you have. And here's my other thing that I want from you as we go through this series. I want you to put down the guards that say, you know, all these all this defense mechanisms that come up with money. It's none of your business. Stay out of my book. I can't believe you. And I want you to want to know what the Bible says about money. That's, just, that's easy, right? I mean, I just want you to put down your guard and say, okay, what, what does the Bible, what does the New Testament say about how I need to think and feel about the money, the stuff that I have? I want you to be willing not to spend money on certain things if God doesn't want you to. And I want you to be willing to give it away if that's what God asks you to do. And I want you to begin that process you might not be talked into that right now, but I want you to begin that process this week by saying, "Okay, God, one financial decision, one financial decision I'm going to make based on what you would have me do, placing your will above my stuff." It might be that you drop some money in the offering basket. You write a check to the church for the first time. It might be that you you know somebody who's having a financial crisis and you say, "I'm going to I'm going to give them some money, maybe you won't even tell them who it is, it might be that you just don't buy something and you save money because you think that God wants you to do that, it might be, that's the easy one, but but maybe that's it for you, it, it might be that that you uh, make a donation to something else that you think, could not even be this church, but something else that you think is valuable and good and that God is behind and and really has a purpose in, but I want you just to make one single decision this week to say, okay. I'm making this decision because I care, because I'm testing even whether God's will is more valuable than this money. If you're a person who gives a ton to our church and keeps this church going and pays my salary, then maybe today when we do the offering and you're already doing that, uh, then, then you could take it another step and, and not give more because you're already giving. But, but you could say like in your heart, I'm not just doing this because this is what I do. I'm doing this because I care more about my relationship with God than I do about the dollars or the money that this check represents. Because that the book of Proverbs is to be believed then the satisfaction that you long for, that you spend money to obtain, can't be reached through spending that money. It can only be obtained through a better, growing, healthy relationship with God where you say, I want your will more than I want whatever it is you can buy. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for how you've talked about money. And sadly, God, I think that we as Christians have a reputation of being greedy, and sometimes it's a it's a reputation that we deserve, Lord, because we care more about stuff than we do about you and serving you. Um, but God, when I look at your word and I look at the things it talks about, it's pretty radical, Lord, and it's radical in a way that it's radical in a way that, that I think is beautiful. I mean, I think about, Lord, all the hunger in the world, and I think about all of the financial problems in our country, and I, I just wonder, God, if, if Christians were to make a decision to put you above their stuff, whether, whether we would see a dent made in those problems, God. Lord, I look at all the things that our government has to do for people, all the things that, all the resources that we have, and I wonder if the American church stopped being so greedy, if those would be so necessary. God, I'm just asking for this sermon series, a hard, difficult sermon series, that you would just touch our hearts in a profound way, I know you've already, God, been working on me and, and causing me to really think uh, about how and why Bren and I spend money the way that we do. And God, I think that you've helped me not be a person that is driven by money, as I said in this sermon, God, but at the same time, I want I want to really believe what Proverbs says. And I want all of us here to believe what Proverbs says, that that a relationship with you and doing your will is, is better, more valuable, more pleasurable than, than all the gold in the world. And so I pray you'd move me towards that and I pray you'd move our congregation towards that. God, I pray that, that as we finish up tonight or this morning in, the, in uh, church, that, that in the hearts of, of everybody here, God, you, you would begin to reveal to us your will for our dollars and cents, Lord, and and you would begin to give people an idea on how they can spend money for you this week and, a, and an idea for how they can say, God, I want you more than I want this dollar, more than I want this hundred dollars. And Lord, this is, I just pray this. I pray, God, that as they give up something for you, as they make stuff the opportunity cost, Lord, that you would satisfy them in a way that they never thought possible by giving money away. And I pray that you would prove Proverbs 8 to us, Lord. I trust that you will, Father. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what we have. We pray, God, that we would give it back to you in whatever way you require of us. In your name, amen.